You are listening to audio from Pastor Mark Driscoll. To find more helpful content like this, as well as daily devotions, Ask Pastor Mark videos, resources for leaders, and much more, visit markdriscoll.org. While there, you can also make a donation that will help support the ministry and subscribe to continue getting Bible-based teaching. If you live in or are visiting the greater Phoenix Valley, please feel free to come and see Pastor Mark at the Trinity Church in Scottsdale, Arizona. Thank you for listening and being a part of Mark Driscoll Ministries. And remember, it's all about Jesus. Amen. Well, if you've got a Bible, go to Luke chapter 1, right around verse 46. And we're spending some weeks looking at the birth of Jesus Christ, the most important person in the history of the world. More songs sung about him, more paintings painted of him, more books written regarding him than anyone who has lived in the history of the world. In fact, we divide our entire calendar into B.C. before Christ and A.D. Anno Domini, the year of our Lord, that literally everything comes down to the most important birthday in the history of the world, and that's what we celebrate at Christmas, the birthday of the Lord Jesus Christ. And today you're going to learn a little bit from the life and example of his mother, Mary. And before we jump into the text, I want to tell you that my job as your pastor is pretty simple. I am supposed to make mistakes. I'm very good at my job, by the way. My job is to make mistakes learn from them, and then teach you so that you can avoid them, okay? And so what I want to share with you today is not something that I am super great at and always land the dismount regarding. That is stress, anxiety, fear, worry. How many of you are worry wards? How many of you just, now you're worrying about your worrying? That's how worried you are, right? This was a common experience early in our marriage. Grace met the Lord when she was a little girl. Her daddy was a pastor. I didn't get saved until I was in college. And we got married between our junior and senior year. And though we were both living the same life, undergoing the same circumstances, facing the same adversity, we responded to those situations very differently. So frequently, this would be the case in our marriage early on in particular. We would go to bed and I would be awake all night or, or much of the night to the point where I kept a notepad next to, the t- next to the bed and I had a pen and I would write down all the things that I was worried about and needed to do and my to-do list and my things that were undone and things I'd forgotten. And, and so I'm literally stuck on all night and can't sleep. And oftentimes would just get up in the middle of the night and just go to work, just go do something. Meanwhile, my wife is snoring, okay? She's snoring. And I remember laying there many occasions thinking, I think I married an irresponsible woman who doesn't fully understand, you know, how much pressure and responsibility we bear. And I think she was thinking, nothing, nothing. She was probably thinking, I married a husband who's going to die because he's a, he's a worry board and he doesn't trust the Lord. And the truth is, over many years, I've come to believe that Grace was right <laughs> and that I was wrong and that I was someone who carried a lot of burden, stress, anxiety, fear, and worry. And it got to the point where it started to have some significant health complications for me. Um, Things like two intestinal ulcers. Two. The first one, you're like, I should have paid attention before I got the second one. Uh, Multiple times, I've blown my adrenal glands, so fatigued them from living off of adrenaline that I was stuck on. And I literally couldn't shut my mind down. I couldn't sleep. Or I'd fall asleep for just a short while and then wake up and I'm, I'm up all night for no reason. I'm someone who's always thinking, always, I was very, 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 very productive. So you'd say, he's very productive and he's burning his own life energy and he doesn't have enough to sustain him for a long time. I wasn't well. Weight gain, got to the point where uh, I went into a doctor, I I was not doing well. And he said, well, you need anti-anxiety medicine, you need sleep medicine, you need heartburn medicine. He just kept going. I'm like, I'm in my 30s, man. That's a lot of pills for a guy in his 30s. And, uh, and I've got to find another way to live my life because this is not working. And so with God's grace and some wise counsel and some medical supervision and then asking my wife questions, like so, because I'd always ask her this question. I'd say, she's laughing at me, but um, I'd say, what are you thinking about? And she'd say, nothing. nothing? I, was, I didn't even know that was possible. I didn't even know that was possible. I'm always thinking of something. I'm always planning something. I'm always working on something until literally I was breaking myself. And and honestly, I could talk about it now. I'm I'm not perfect at this, but I am healed. I sleep nine hours a night. 
and, uh, and I nap good. Um, I hope to get better. Like every athlete, I'm in training, but I, I nap pretty good. And, and, and I want to share you with you today some things that I've learned through my mistakes, through my errors, through my failures. And that is that, uh, that fear in the mind starts to cause stress in the body that leads to brokenness in the life. That's the, that's the pattern. And fear starts in the mind, and fear is looking at the future with no hope. It's looking at the future as if everything is cataclysmic and apocalyptic. And how many of you, you're that way. You're, 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 you, you immediately go to worst case scenario for everything. Oh, you left your shoes out. You know why you left your shoes out? You're responsible. You know what happens to irresponsible people? They commit adultery. You know what happens if you commit adultery? You ruin our marriage. And then our grandkids grow up and they have a bad Christmas. Pick up your shoes. You're like, wow, wait, that, that was really fast. We, we ruined the grandkids already? Like, we, I'll pick up my shoes. But wow, that was, that was, that was, that was quite a fast run there. That, that what happens is that fear causes us to be false prophets. Fear causes us to prophesy doom over our own future. Fear causes us to see things without any of God's grace or presence. It just is the future completely absent and devoid of God's involvement. Okay? Some of you are like, he knows me. No, he is you. Okay, this is, this is how I would have seen much of life. And what happens is the fear, the anxiety, the stress, the worry of the future, it robs you of life and joy in the present. There can be people and things that God has given you that are gracious gifts to be enjoyed. And we look over them and we lean into the future for this cataclysmic future that awaits us to destroy us, one of doom. And as a result, we don't get to enjoy the people and things that are right in front of us because we're preparing for something that, that we think is ahead of us. But the truth is, oftentimes it doesn't even come to pass. How many of you have had some sort of horrible fear and you lived in anxiety and stress and worry and bracing for the head-on collision that never came? And you realize that was a lot of wasted energy that could have been invested energy in people and things that are in front of me. What happens is that fear in the mind, it leads to anxiety in the body. Your body kicks into this fight or flight mode and God made us this way and it's good for us. Like at our house, we've seen, uh, I didn't know this until I moved to Arizona, javelina um, and uh, a bobcat. And the other, not long ago, I walked outside and I was like, those are the skinniest dogs. Those are coyotes walking down the street, okay? Now, let's say they started running at me. The fight or flight mode would kick in and I would run. Now, not fast, but I would run, okay? Because the adrenaline would kick in and this is to survive, right? But when we live in that constant state of, you know, red terror alert, the body is always just sort of on edge, and, and this is where your adrenaline is pumping, you feel strong, you feel on, you feel alert. But what this does, this weakens your immune system, you start getting sick. For me, it was sinus infections, you start putting on weight, you start getting heartburn, you start getting pain in your joints, you start aching, you get headaches, you can't sleep, your blood pressure goes up, you're not well. Your body is giving you warning signs. We can't live in a state of red terror alert all the time. We're not okay with that. We're going to break from that. And then what happens is over time, you start seeing mood swings. You become moody. You become grumpy. Because what happens is it's almost like your soul has a migraine. Okay? And you have a bad headache or a migraine. Somebody comes along and like, how are you? You're like, stop yelling at me. That's what happens when you got a migraine. Everything is amplified. You're incredibly sensitive. When you're in that ongoing constant state of stress and anxiety and fear and worry for an extended period of time and it becomes a lifestyle, it's like your soul has a migraine. One more person, one more thing, it's just too much. You become very irritable. You become very grumpy. Grace used to say, I feel like I have to walk on eggshells around you. Sorry, honey. There's, there's nothing that you're saying or doing that is meritous of the reaction you're getting. I'm not well. I'm not well. 
Fear, anxiety, stress in the mind leads to brokenness in the body. This fight or flight response kicks in. And then we start self-medicating, or people do. The number one category of prescription medications is antidepressants. People are really struggling with sleeping. Because as we live in this highly alerted state, we can't shut off. So then we self-medicate with depressants. We use alcohol. We'll use drugs. We'll use pornography. We'll, we'll use television, the internet, to sort of numb ourselves, to distract ourselves, to divert ourselves, to calm ourselves down. And then we don't sleep well. We don't get deep sleep. The psalmist says that he gives his beloved sleep. We don't get that kind of sleep. So then over time, we start to break down. We find our energy levels are just depleted. So then we need stimulants to wake ourselves up. So we drink coffee and more coffee. Some people go to drugs or illicit behavior that gets the adrenaline firing, or we've created these things called energy drinks. Have you seen those? Have you read the can? The can literally says, if you drink this, you will explode. <laughs> and, and so this is what you get. Now, what, what used to happen for me, if somebody came up and said, don't worry, I'd be like, immediately, like an attorney, I would present my case. Well, let me tell you all my responsibilities and my duties and my obligations and all the things that I need to make sure happen. And if I don't, here's who suffers and here's my fate and here's what the future holds. And, and you have no idea. Don't tell me not to stress out. I have a good reason to stress out. Okay, anybody is, make sense? Okay, if you're married to this person, thank you for bringing them and you're welcome. Okay. How many of you know people like this? You love them, but you don't know what to do with them because they're just absolutely self-destructing and they're not listening. When we find ourselves in those anxious, stressful, fearful moments, situations, and circumstances, there's really fight or flight. Fight is, I'm going to run at my problem and conquer it and be a winner. Well, then you have to fight for the rest of your life and you're always on. The other is flight. I quit, I quit, I quit, I run, I hide, I, I literally, I, I remove myself from relationship, from people, from information, I just shut down, I'm looking for a bunker to crawl into so that when the bomb drops, I'll be okay. There's a big difference between solitude and isolation. The Bible says it's not good to be alone, that's isolation, isolation, is apart from the Lord, solitude is with the Lord. So you can either run to your problem, fight, run from your problem, flight, or run to the Lord. Non-Christians don't even understand that this is a category or a possibility. Today, we're gonna to look at a case study of a young woman named Mary. She was the mother of a guy named Jesus. She is in a circumstance where she could look at her future and worry. Okay. Let me tell you the things she could worry about. She's probably a teenager. Most commentators think 13, 14, 15. How many of you just being 14? That's stressful. Okay. Now she's 14 and she's pregnant. Uh, okay. And... She's engaged to be married, but she's not married yet. So the question is, is this guy going to hang in there or not? Furthermore, her reputation is not good because when she goes to junior high and tells all the other girls, God got me pregnant. They're like, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. Right? Her reputation. Can you imagine if she was on Facebook status? Pregnant. You know, not good, right? Not good. Furthermore, she's poor, so she doesn't have a lot of money. Furthermore, she's in a small town that's rife with gossip. Add to that, she's, not, she's pregnant. How many of you ladies just being pregnant? You're like, that freaks me out. Just being pregnant. You're pregnant with God. Uh, that's a lot, right? Like, get it right. We don't even know what happens if you get it wrong. We don't even know what happens. <laughs> Add to that, there's no word about her parents. Luke and Matthew give the historical record of the birth of Jesus. Her parents are never mentioned. They're not present. Like some of you, maybe her family's just literally not involved in her life and she's all by herself. 
And at this point in the story, she's a hundred miles away from home with her relative Elizabeth for three months. She doesn't even know what's going on back at home or even what her fiance, Joseph, is thinking. Okay, how many of you, if this was your resume, you would be worried, stressed, anxious, looking at the future saying, how is this going to happen? How am I going to make it? How in the world is this possibly going to come together in a way that doesn't destroy me? That's where Mary's at. So we're going to learn today from the case study of a, of a teenage girl. She worships God. She could be worrying, but rather than worrying, she's worshiping. Rather than running at her problem or her obstacle or her calling, rather than running from it, she runs to the Lord and brings her burden with her. She is probably a songwriter, maybe a worship leader. She's a godly gal. She's going to echo multiple books of the Bible. And she gets some time with the Lord. So I want to teach you three things about worshiping instead of worrying. And I'm not saying that I am naturally good at this. I'm saying that by God's grace, I've made great improvements and my life and my health and my well-being are better. But that my wife is even a barometer in my life. I'll ask her, how am I doing? Because sometimes I'm not the best person to diagnose how I'm doing. Here's Mary's example of worshiping. The first thing is that worship looks up. When we're worrying, we're looking out. Who's coming? What's coming? What's against me? What's opposing me? What do I need to defeat? Where is the obstacle? Where's the opportunity? How do I prepare for battle? Worship looks up. Lord, who are you? You're over all of this. Let me remind myself who you are. So what you're going to see is in each of the three snapshots that we look at today, she will look up and tell us who God is, and then she'll look down and ask how she can worship him. How many of you, these are the, not the questions you ask when crisis comes. God, who are you? How can I worship you? And Mary said, my soul, this is the essence of your being. This is the seat, sum, and center of who you are, your soul. Do you know that you are a spiritual being? You're not just a body, you're a soul. And that your soul is made to connect with the immaterial, invisible, supernatural, spiritual creator of the universe, our God. That's the primary goal of your existence is to spiritually connect at the level of the soul with the God who made you. So she begins with the soul. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. You know what a speaker does? It magnifies, it amplifies. What she's saying is, I want to take my life, plug it into God so that what I say is what he says and what I think is what he thinks. And when people see me, they are reminded of him. In God, my savior. She's going to tell us some things about God. First, that her God is the Lord. That means that he's high and exalted, that he rules and reigns, that he's in ultimate authority, and that he is over all other people, places, circumstances. That's really important because what can happen is, if you don't remind yourself that God is the Lord, someone or something else takes the position of Lord over your life. They become the most important. They become the highest authority. And you start living to appease them or please them or to avoid punishment or harm from them to manipulate them to get the future that you want. When God is the Lord, it eliminates and delivers us from bondage to living to please others or even getting our own way. She reminds herself, my God is the Lord. He's over all of this. Furthermore, he is a savior. He's a God who has historically, from the beginning, proven himself fully willing and able to deliver people from terrible plights. And what she's saying is, as I look at the history of God, he is a savior. When we think of savior, we think of one who saves us from Satan's sin, death, hell, and the wrath of God. And that is for sure what the Lord Jesus does. But he also saves us from a lot of other little pains and hells along the way. 
That when we get ourselves in circumstances, he's gracious to get us out. When we find ourselves in a place where we don't know how we're going to move forward, he is the one who brings us forward. What she's saying is, my God is the Lord and he's a savior. He doesn't just look at people and say, well, you're in a tough spot. You better figure that out. He comes along and says, I'm here to help. For he has looked on the humblest state of his servant. What she's saying is, my God sees and knows all. My God pays attention. My God is not absent. He's present. You need to know this, that God loves you. And God sees you and God knows you. And what's amazing with God, there are so many people in so many circumstances, but God loves each of us as if there was only one of us. God knows each of us as if there was only one of us. God knows what you're going through. He knows how you're feeling. He knows where you're hurting. He knows what burdens you're carrying. He knows what fears you are dreading. He looks. He looks. God has not abandoned you, friend. He's watching you. He has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. In this immediate moment, do you think that all of this feels like an instantaneous blessing to her? No. She's got to walk 100 miles back to the house. She's got to figure out what Joseph's going to do. She's got to see what the other gals say. She's going to see what it's like to be pregnant. She's got to give birth to a baby. And she's got to raise him to atone for the sin of the world. God is a God who blesses us. And even if a circumstance should come into our life that is not a blessing, worship allows us to seek the blessing in the circumstance. Cancer is not a blessing. Divorce is not a blessing. A miscarriage is not a blessing. Unemployment is not a blessing. But God, if you will bring it to him in worship, will help you find the blessing in it. It's so painful. It's so brutal. It's so costly. I don't want you to waste it. I want you to invest it and find the blessing in it. This is why sometimes people that have been through the most horrific circumstances, they will say at the end, after they brought it to the Lord and seen where the blessing is in it and through it, they will say, it's nothing that I ever wanted but I wouldn't trade it for anything because I have learned who God is and who I am through those circumstances. I've been blessed. This is the long view of things, which is incredibly mature for what is likely a teenage girl. What this goes to show you is that even those who don't have much education, if they are young and filled with the Holy Spirit, they have wisdom to teach us all. She goes on to say, for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed for he who is mighty. What she's saying is, my God has the power to do whatever he pleases. Now, this doesn't mean that he has to do something, but it means that he can. And that it means that if he determines that he will do something, there is no power above the almighty that can thwart his will. We tend to believe that God is powerful until we feel powerless and then we want power, not God's presence, but it's God's presence that brings God's power. He is mighty, he has done great things for me. It's assuming that God is good and that the God, she's looking back on her life, she's saying, he has done great things for me. God has been good to me. God's a good father. He's never abandoned me. He's never abused me. He's never disregarded me. He's never discarded me. His character is proven to me. And right now it might feel like I'm in a place of being forsaken. He has proven himself not to be a God who forsakes, but a God who draws near and is trustworthy. And holy is his name. What she's saying is, my God is good. He's not bad. He does good, not evil. He brings life, not death. He brings hope. He brings peace. He brings love. He brings mercy. He brings provision. This is faith. Faith is seeing who God is and then seeing the future with God present. That is the anecdote to the fear. The fear is looking to the future and having no awareness of God's character or presence in it. 
Faith says, no, I need to remind myself who God is and I need to see my future with God present in it. So she begins by looking up. Before you look out or forward, you need to look up and Godward. And she's reminding herself, okay, who is God? Because when circumstances hit, oftentimes for us it is, what is the obstacle? What is the plan to march forward and conquer the future so that I don't have the terrible fate that I'm fearful of? Before that, we need to go up to the Lord. God, who are you? Remind me of your presence. Remind me of your essence. Remind me of your goodness so that I can worship you. Now, a couple of things that worship does, and it's doing it here for Mary. Number one, it forces us to just stop. Stop thinking. Stop talking. Stop doing. Just being. How many of you, you're so anxious, fearful, what are you doing? I don't know. I just, I need, I need to stay busy. I need to do something. I can't, I can't stop something. I need to do something. How many of you, you do things and they're, they're not helpful. They're not profitable. They're, they're fretting. They're worrying. They're, they're wasting, not investing. Worship just causes us to stop. You know, when you do something, it might be actually ungodly. And when you do nothing, it might be godly. And it's an act of faith saying, when I do nothing, I trust that God is still doing. It forces us to stop. That's what worship does. Being in the presence of God, getting time with God. Number two, it reminds our soul of God's presence. It says, my soul, my soul connects with the Lord. It's saying, God, You are present. Remind me of your presence. Let me experience your presence. Because when we pull the fear near, God seems far. When we remind ourselves that God is near, the fear seems far. The third thing that worship is doing for Mary, worship invites God into our fears. God, I'm afraid of this. God, I'm concerned about this. God, I'm worried about this. I'm anxious about this. I have no idea how this is going to turn out. I, I don't know how I'm going to make it. What that does is, number one, it clarifies reality. How many of you have had something that paralyzed you, and then when you brought it to the Lord, you realized it was not grounded in reality? It was something you were afraid of that really didn't exist in reality. There was no reason to be afraid of it. Other times you you come to the understanding, you bring that fear to the Lord and and you realize, no, this is something that is real and it's really in my life and it's it's really difficult. But Lord, I invite your presence into it. I think it's in 1 John 4.10, he says that perfect love casts out fear. Well, you invite the Lord's presence and he comes with his love. Pushes the fear away as you enjoy the loving presence of God. Another thing that it does for Mary, and here's what I want you to know. I love you. I do love you very much. And it's a great honor to be your pastor. And what I don't want to do is bring this message and take you who are burdened and lay another burden on you that you need to be a worshiper. I want to come to you with love and compassion and empathy Say, I fully understand it. I've been here many days of my own accord. And I want to address that burden that you're carrying. And I want you to be invited to worship and enjoy God's presence to help take that burden off of you. I don't want worship to be another burden on you. I want it to be the means by which the burden is lifted from you. Do you understand that? Okay. That's what Mary is doing here. She's worshiping the Lord. And in so doing, she's dealing with a burden. Um, and what I love is it, it brings her to the place where she starts to see her life not as it is, but as it could be if she continues being God's humble servant, walking in faith. That's what she's saying. I need to be humble. I need to be obedient. I need to trust God for the future that he has because I believe that I am blessed and I believe that what he's doing is a great thing, even though it's a hard thing, okay? Let me say this. I want you to pay attention. 
We don't worship God to get the ends we want. Worshiping God is not the way that you get the future that you want. Okay? Okay, because the, the prayer in the Bible is not my will be done. It's thy will be done. The difference between the God of the Bible and all the false gods, the false gods can be manipulated to give you what you want. So if you make a holy pilgrimage, you tithe, you sacrifice, you worship, you pray, you say a sacred prayer, you, you know, have some amulet, it's a way of manipulating God to give you the future that you want. The God of the Bible cannot be manipulated. We can make requests of him as a child would a father, and he is good and oftentimes does answer yes to our request. But ultimately, he reserves the right to determine what our future holds because he is the, the Lord. And there's only one. It's not you and it's not me and it's not us, it's him. And what Mary is coming to is a point of inviting God, worshiping God, reminding herself of God, surrendering to God, enjoying God's presence. And let me say that this always doesn't happen in an instant. She's going to, you'll see this at at the end in verse 56, I think it is. It says that she is at Elizabeth's house, 100 miles away from home for three months. This is a process of learning and growing and being with the Lord and thinking it through and coming to a place of resolve in her soul where she's ready to go back to her hometown to face whatever adversity might be before her and to accept God's will for her life. So I don't want to burden you today that you have to worship God. And I don't want you to understand that today everything needs to be dealt with in an instant. I want to say I want you to bring it to God today and bring it to God every day. And for some, it might be some months before the totality of the burden is lifted and the fear seems far and God seems near. So first thing is that worship looks up. Let me just say this. Next time you are anxious, stressed, and depressed... Just literally sit down and make a list of who God is and see if that doesn't help your emotional state and refocus from your problems to the God who is over your problems. The second thing we learned from Mary's example is that worship looks back. So worship looks up to God, but before worship looks forward to the future, it looks back to God's provision in the past. How is God treated people in the past? How has he dealt with people in the past? How has he involved himself in circumstances in the past? Okay, reminding myself of that, now I'm ready to move into my future because I have momentum based upon God's faithfulness in his past record. You get that? So he says, and his mercy, so she says, God is a God of mercy. He looks at us and he says, I know you need help. I know you're in trouble. I know you're struggling. I empathize. I get it. I understand. There's mercy for those who... Fear him. Mary's going to say this over and over and over in various ways. I fear him. I'm his servant. I need to be humble. What she's saying is that God doesn't bless people. He blesses people that are in his will. Some of you are like, I don't know why God doesn't bless me. Maybe you're not living in his will. But if you're living in God's will, then you're in the place that God is most likely to bless. And what she's saying is, God blesses humble people. I want to be humble. God blesses servants. I want to be a servant. Uh, God blesses those who fear him. I want to start with the fear of the Lord. And what she's not saying is, therefore, I'll get what I want. But what she's saying is, I'm going to be in the place that God blesses. If there's a line and the proud are over here and the humble are over here and the selfish are over here and the servants are over there and those who have no regard for the Lord over here and those who fear the Lord over here, these people, it tends to go better for them. I can't control my future, but I can control my character and I want to live in the place that God blesses. He... He has mercy for those who fear him from generation to generation. She's saying, you know, as I remember the story of the Bible, God likes to work through generations and now she's pregnant. So she's thinking, I could trust God for my life and my unborn child's life. How many of you really struggle not to trust God with your life, but the life of your children and grandchildren? Yeah, God was faithful, but what about that generation? 
She says, no, he's faithful from generation to generation. He has shown strength. She says, my God is strong. It's this metaphorical imagery of an arm that reaches down to be involved to save and heal and deliver. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. She says, whatever I do now, I don't want to be proud. I want to be humble. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. I don't want to think that I'm entitled and God owes me. Don't want to start bragging about being, you know, the mother of God and the chosen one to fulfill the promise of Isaiah 7:14, given 700 years prior that the virgin will be with child. Boom, put it out on Twitter. That's me. Humble. She said, I look at what happens to people who rise themselves up. I'm just going to stay low. And exalted those of humble estate. She's saying, I'm poor, I'm rural. See, in that that culture, males were honored above females. Rich was honored above poor. The educated was valued over the uneducated. The married were valued over the single. And those who were highly educated were, were valued among those who were uneducated. And those who lived in cities were esteemed above those who lived in the country. And she is of humble estate. And she says, the good news is, God likes glory, so he picks people from my team so that when good things happen, everyone knows it was the Lord. He has filled the hungry with what? Good things. God's generous. She's saying, I got to eat and I got to feed my baby. I'm not sure how the future is going to work. She says, you know, my God has a history of feeding people with good things. So I'm going to have to trust him to feed me and my baby And the rich he has sent away empty. She reminds herself of who God is. Here's what happens. When fear, anxiety, stress, worry come upon us, we're looking at the future. But what she does, she looks first to the past. Okay, God, other people have gone through things like this. What did you do? Okay, I receive that. Now I look at what the future holds, and I'm going to trust that you will be with me and that your character will be consistent, that you will be true to yourself. You know that God isn't just true to you, even better, he's true to himself. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change because he's perfect, and he's good, and he has nothing to improve upon, and you have nothing to fear. The other thing that worship does, and it does this for Mary, it clarifies who is responsible for what. Let me explain this. This is where I really struggled. New husband, new father, pastor. I really struggled with this because I was an overly responsible person. How many of you are overly responsible? You're overly responsible. Okay. How many of you are irresponsible? Okay. You're so responsible. You didn't even raise your hand. That's how irresponsible those people are. Okay. So you overly responsible people, what we tend to do is we tend not to understand who has what responsibility. So we take all the responsibility. And then what we tend to do, we tend to attract all the irresponsible people. Okay. Some of you, this explains your marriage. Okay. You're welcome. Okay. So what happens is the overly responsible people are, I'll take care of everything. And the irresponsible person is like, yay. Yay! Yay! And they just transfer all their responsibilities to you. So here's the circumstance. There are responsibilities that are yours. There are responsibilities that are theirs. There are responsibilities that are his. You need to understand who has what responsibilities. So here are Mary's responsibilities. You're going to have a baby. You're going to need to birth the baby. You're going to need to raise the baby. You're going to need to be the mother of the Messiah. That's your responsibility. There's a lot of other people with responsibilities as well. The angel Gabriel showed up. We looked earlier in the text a few weeks ago to Joseph and said, Mary's going to have a baby. You need to marry her and you need to raise the baby. That's Joseph's responsibility. That's not Mary's responsibility. Mary needs to do what she is responsible for. Joseph needs to do what he is responsible for. Can Mary make Joseph be responsible? Ladies, remember this. Remember this. I love you. But you can't make someone else be responsible. And there are things that God alone can do. Like get the virgin pregnant. 
That's, that, that, God's going to have to do that. Uh, bringing the Messiah into the world to atone for the sin of the world. Mary can't be like, I'll take care of it. <clears throat> Just let it go, sweetheart. That's above your pay grade. That's not what you put on LinkedIn. You know, savior of the world. That's not your job. Mary, in worshiping God, she realizes, okay, these are my responsibilities. These are the responsibilities of others, including Joseph. And these are the responsibilities of God. Here's what happens to irresponsible people. They take all of their responsibilities and they fling them onto other people in God. And they make it sound pious and holy. So let me get you. Okay. Oh, I just trust the Lord. No, you don't. You take all your burdens and you put them on us. You take all your responsibilities and put them on us and say, praise the Lord. And that's ungodly. That's ungodly. Those who are overly responsible, they say, okay, I will take responsibility for my responsibilities. Oh, and, and I'll take responsibility for your responsibilities. And while I'm at it, Lord, I'll take yours too. All right, just load me up right here. I'll carry all these burdens. And then what happens over time? We are crushed. Because you were not built to carry your responsibilities, their responsibilities, and his responsibilities. Crushed. And then sometimes I say we, because I'm, you know, I'm the professional hypocrite here. So I say we, Lord, why are you doing this to me? Why are you crushing me? Why? And the Lord's like, I didn't, that was you. Like, half that stuff... I was already going to take care of. And you're trying to help me. And just so you know, you're not helping. You know, how many of you know what I'm talking about? How many of you felt this? I explained this to a counselor, pastor, friend of ours. It's like a spiritual father to Grace and I, and we're meeting with him. And he said, every time I see you, it just seems like you are just weighed down with burden. This was in one of the most difficult seasons of our life. I said, I feel like I live with a few hundred pound jacket on. I feel like I wake up in the morning and I get out of bed. Okay, I got a few hundred pounds. I got to, you know, go take a shower and get dressed and have breakfast and start my day. And I literally feel like I've got a few hundred pound jacket on and I never get to take it off. Mary can't make Joseph love her. There's even a provision in the law that he could divorce her or put her to death. If you're a pregnant teenage girl who is facing the possibility of divorce from your betrothal and possibly even death, she needs Joseph to be responsible for God's call on his life and she needs God to be good for his word. And those are fully beyond her ability to make happen. And what worship does, it clarifies our responsibilities. This is mine. This is yours. This is his. I can't carry it all. Doesn't mean I don't love you. Doesn't mean I don't care for you. Doesn't mean I don't sympathize and empathize with you. It just means I can't carry you. You're going to need to carry yourself. You get that? There's a lot of wisdom here from a teenage girl. All of this happens through worship, being in God's presence, spending time with the Lord, not in isolation, not surfing the internet, not watching TV, not frantically posting social media updates of your freaking out so that others will freak out with you so you don't feel alone, right? Not distracting yourself with technology, not avoiding your responsibility, not staying up all night breaking your body while you're planning your victory. Spending time with the Lord. Spending time in the presence of the Lord. She starts by looking up. She then looks back. Then she's ready to look forward. You see that process? Okay, God, who are you? Okay. What's your history of dealing with people in circumstances like this? Okay, now I'm ready to move forward in life with my responsibilities. See, what's happened here, Mary's circumstances haven't changed. 
but her soul is changed. Your circumstances might not change, but your soul can change in the midst of your circumstances. What that means is things might not be okay, but you might be okay. And sometimes we think if I could just get better circumstances, I would have a better soul. The truth is you may not get better circumstances and you need to have a better soul. And so here's what she does. She worships by looking ahead. She says this about God. He has helped. Here's what you need to know. God likes to help. How many of you are not helpful? You don't like to help, right? Like people are like, I need help. You're like, I'll pray for you. You (laughs) That's about it. You're like, good luck with that. How many of you like to help, but you don't like to be helped? Can I help you? Can I help you? Can I help you? No, can I help you? Oh, no, no. I'm fine. I'm great. Okay, I married that gal. Finally, one day I said, why am I here? You're always helping me. I I do need help for sure. We're we're all aware of that. But is there any way I can help you? Here's, Here's the relationship with God. God doesn't need you. God didn't make you because he's like, there's some stuff I got to get done and that's why you're here. (laughs) We need God. God doesn't need us. God likes to help us just like a parent who loves a child is willing to serve the child. God's a father. He always sees us as his kids. You moms get this. He's helped. He likes to help. He's there to help. Have you asked him for help? Oftentimes we're like, no, I'm trying to take care of the Lord's responsibility so he'll be proud of me. The Lord's like, hey, kid, can I help? No, I've got this. Obviously you don't. Let me help. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers. Do you know that God will speak to you usually through his word, but other means as well, at the time that you need it. How many of you, you're like, okay, Lord, here's our deal. You give me the manual of everything that's gonna happen, and then I will begin to obey. Just tell me everything that's gonna happen, but make it like Ikea, step one, step two, step three, and I'll just follow the directions, make my life a paint-by-numbers kit, God's like, no, I'll tell you something, you obey it. I'll tell you something else, you obey it. I'll tell you something else, you obey it. That's faith. Faith is saying, I don't know what the results or consequences will be, but today I will seek to the best of my ability to do what is right in the sight of the Lord. And I will leave the results to him. My job is not results. My my job is obedience to his word. God will speak to you when it's time. And I don't know about you, there are times in my life I thought, God, just tell me the future. I'm so glad he said no. If God would have told me the future, I would have for sure freaked out. Completely incapable and unable of handling what was coming. Right? Right? God let me see as far as I could handle and he spoke to me what I needed to know to take the next step of obedience into the future that he had for me and that is the relationship of faith. He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring for how long? Forever. Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Elizabeth was about six months pregnant when Mary arrived. It seems like she stayed through the duration of the birth. And then she has the hundred mile journey home. She doesn't know at this point, most likely. What's Joseph gonna do? What are people gonna say? How is the response going to be? What does the future hold? How is pregnancy going to be? What is going to happen? She doesn't know. But because she spent time in the Lord's presence, she's been worshiping the Lord. She's invited the Lord into her fear. She's emotionally processed this with the Lord. She is now ready to walk into the will of God. And she's one of the godliest people in the history of the, of the world. Two things I want to tell you. Number one, worship may not change your circumstances, but it will change your soul. Worship may not change your circumstances, but it will change your soul. Her circumstances haven't changed, but her soul is ready to enter into those circumstances. 
I didn't believe this for a long time. I now believe that I would rather have a soul that is right with God than circumstances of my choosing. How many of you, you feel like my life with God would be great if he would just do what I tell him? And since he doesn't do what I tell him, he's very bad at, you know, taking orders. And I don't know why the Lord would be like that. Oftentimes we think, or I would say in my, you know, least wise moments, I have thought, God, things would be better and we would be better if I just got what I wanted. If you would make the circumstances right in my eyes. God was using those circumstances to make my soul right in his eyes. Because I love you, I would rather you have a right soul than right circumstances. Because if your soul is right, you'll get through your circumstances. But if your soul is wrong and your circumstances are right, you'll be ungodly, fleshly, worldly, and corrupt, even though life is the way you want it. Secondly, and this is my big idea, it is in God's presence Worshiping the Lord, where the burden is transferred. It's where the burden is transferred. Some of you are anxious, you're irritable, you're grouchy, you're grumpy, you're like a grenade with a pin pulled and people just try and work around you. Some of you may say, I'm an anxious person, I'm an angry person. What you may be is a burden person who's living under great anxiety and stress and your soul has the equivalent of a migraine. If you are carrying a burden that God didn't intend for you to carry, then it's a burden that God did not equip you to bear. God will give you the strength to carry the burden that he assigns to you, but if you take on burdens that he has not assigned to you, he will not equip you to carry them and they will crush you. And when we look at the future and we have fear and we have anxiety and we have stress and we have worry and we have doubt, we can take upon ourselves a burden to be our own savior and our own hero and our own deliverer and our own Lord, the source of our own mercy and our own wisdom. And we weren't built for that. We're not made for that. We can't sustain that. When Grace and I were in one of our darkest moments, we were meeting with a godly older pastor, counselor, and he said, how's your prayer life, Mark? I said, it's good. I talk to the Lord about this all the time. And he says, how's your burden? I said, it's crushing me. And he said, well, then you're not praying. You're just complaining to the Lord. Thank you, Barnabas, for that word of encouragement. Um, I said, explain that. He said, it's, it's only complaining if you're just yelling at the Lord about your burden. It's praying when you transfer that burden to the Lord. I said, well, then my praying is not very good. My complaining is sort of Olympic level quality. I'm very good at that. <laughs> How many of you have even struggled to name your burden, accept your burden, be honest about your burden, because you feel like it's ungodly? Okay. Let, me, let, me, let me give you God's word, which can heal you. So who's in Mary's womb? Jesus. He's going to grow up and carry the greatest burden in the history of the world. He is going to take upon himself all of the sin of the world. He is making himself responsible for the salvation and forgiveness of all of God's people through all of history. Burden? Like you and I have no category of even conceiving of. You think of your responsibilities and then think of Jesus' responsibilities. They're not even in the same stratosphere. Jesus literally is carrying a cross on his back. He's literally carrying a physical, spiritual, emotional burden to his place of crucifixion. So visit with me, those of you who know the story, the night before. Jesus is not in isolation, he's in solitude. He's learned something from his mother Mary how to carry a burden to the Lord. 
He brings it to his father. He goes to be alone with the father in the Garden of Gethsemane. For those of you who know the story, what's his emotional state? He is, he is, can we use the word stressed? Can we use that? He's up how late? All night. He's, there is, there is a real burden that he's bearing. There's a real price that he'll be paying. And there's real emotions that he's feeling. I always hate it when religious people come along and say, oh, don't feel like that. Just trust the Lord. Well, the Lord who was sweating blood? How about, how about I don't just trust the Lord, but I follow in his example? Which means some nights I'm going to be up. Jesus is such under distress and duress that he is literally sweating drops of blood. Question. Is he being ungodly? It's kind of weird to ask, was God ungodly? The answer is no. Is he sinning by feeling? No, Jesus never sinned. Hebrews says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us, but he sympathizes with us in our weaknesses for he has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Jesus has been there. Does Jesus articulate his concern? What he says is, Father, I would make my request, I'm paraphrasing, that you take this cup of suffering from me. Is it okay to have some stress and anxiety? Is it okay to be emotionally burdened if you're dealing with reality and you're not just, you know, causing yourself to be anxious over a hypothetical, but that which is impending and real? Is it okay in those moments to honestly bring those burdens to the Lord and to talk about it honestly and to make your requests known? Jesus did. And then Jesus says this, not my will, but your will be done. He surrenders. He he learns this, I think, from his mother Mary. She set a great example for him of how to be honest, how to feel, how to process, how to grieve, how to be present in the moment, and how to ultimately surrender to the will of God. And then Jesus goes to the cross and he atones for the sin of the world and he dies in our place for our sins as our substitute and savior. And what the Lord Jesus does is he transfers the burden. We give our burdens to Jesus. Jesus gives our burdens to the Father. I want you to be healed of your burden. I love you. I've been praying for you all week. It's a great honor to teach you God's word. Jesus says it this way. Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. In that moment, Jesus is saying, I've taken all of this responsibility and burden into my hands and I've atoned for the sins of the world. And now, Father, I place myself and everyone else and everything else and all of the burdens for all of us into your hands. Now the burden is out of my hands. That means our hands are now free to worship. You can't worship when you are carrying your burdens. I never thought of that until right now. Maybe this is prophetic for you, my friend. You can't worship God if your hands are always carrying your burdens. You give your burdens to the Lord and then you're free to worship the Lord because he's the one who takes your burdens. Father God, I pray for my friends right now. I pray that in the strong name of Jesus, you would take their burdens. That Lord God, they would assume their responsibilities, but they would give you the burden of their responsibilities. Dear friend, would you please all just close your eyes and raise your hands? Raise your hands. Lord, this is our way of bringing our burdens to you. 
Lord, in these hands are burdens of people that are near and dear to you that you care for. Lord, in these hands are burdens that others should bear or burdens that you alone can bear. Lord, we want to be responsible people. Mary was responsible, but we don't want to be burdened and broken people. We want to be healed and worshiping people. Holy Spirit, would you please come right now and touch your people? Bring the presence of God into our midst. Allow us to transfer our burdens to you. Lord Jesus, I think of your words. Come to me, all you who are weary, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Lord, I think of Psalm 55, 22, where it says to cast all our anxieties and fears and burdens on you and that you will sustain us. Lord God, I think of 1 Peter 5, 7, where it says, cast all your anxieties on him for he cares for you. Lord, right now in the strong name of Jesus, I pray for a lifting of burdens for our people. I pray for a filling of the Holy Spirit for our people. And I pray that you would be in our midst as we now worship you as Mary did in Jesus' strong name. Amen.